Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, church, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. As you're turning, I'll just ask you this. I'm not recommending the song, but anybody heard this song, Rich Men North of Richmond? It's uh, number one on iTunes. I'm not recommending it because it has cuss words in it, but I thought this was funny from Babylon B. It said this, country music industry confused by man actually from the country making actual music. <laughs> I could go on railing against modern country music because I love the old stuff anyway. All right, book of Hebrews. We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. Just as a reminder, the book of Hebrews is a sermon, so the author, the writer, is a pastor, and he's preaching a sermon to a congregation that consists mostly of Jewish Christians, okay? And these, and this is significant too, this church is going through immense suffering. These Jewish Christians are going through immense suffering. They're, they're being ostracized, they're being persecuted, they've had property stolen, they've been excluded from the community because of their faith in Christ. And so they're suffering. And as a result, and that's the context of what we're going to be looking at today in Hebrews 10, as a result of this suffering, they are tempted to turn away from Christ and to return back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it looks like that some of them have already done this. Some of these professing Christians, it looks like, have turned away from Christ. And I think the writer can tell that others are thinking about following these people and leaving Christ and leaving the church And the author keeps reminding these Jewish Christians that they better not turn away from Jesus because if they do, they're turning away from God and they won't be saved. So that's the warning, okay? So the writer is saying, despite your suffering, persevere in the faith. Keep trusting in the Lord. Keep trusting in his promises. And here at the end of chapter 10, he's going to give both a word of warning and a word of encouragement, okay? So this week, we're going to look at the warning. Next week, we'll look at the encouragement. So the warning today is, it's, it's a sober, scary warning, but the warning is the threat of God's judgment, okay? Another way of thinking about this is, I like to think of it as a splash of cold water. Uh, my wife has told me this story, funny story about her mom and her younger brother. Andy has an older brother and a younger brother, and the younger brother, when he was very little, he had this tendency to go into these legendary temper tantrums. And he would flail around and scream and cry. He would lay on the floor and just, just, just go crazy. And one time, and I think it may have happened more than this, but one time he was laying in the driveway just flailing around and screaming, and people would try to console him, and he was just inconsolable. He would scream even more, just flailing around. And in that moment, and here's what Andy's mom did. Andy's mom, Alice, she went inside the house, just calmly went inside the house, got a big glass of ice water, walked out, and just threw it in his face as he was laying on the driveway, okay? (laughs) So a big splash of cold water, and and he he did this, you know, can't breathe type thing. But in that moment, then he could be talked to, like the splash of cold water knocked some sense into him, and he could be talked to, okay? It's a reality check. Well, that's what the author of Hebrews is doing for us here. He's given us a splash of cold water for people who are thinking about turning away from Christ. And, and for people who claim to be followers of Jesus, sometimes, 
And you recognize this, I hope, sometimes if you're in the midst of suffering, we can start throwing temper tantrums, right? We can, we can start throwing temper tantrums. We can flail around because suffering really hurts. And, it, and it's understandable. It's understandable to yell a little bit and flail around. It's understandable. We all do that a little bit. But as followers, we're not permitted to continue lashing out. We're not comp- permitted to continue lashing out at other people and we're not permitted to continue lashing out at God and so that's what the writer to the Hebrews is doing as I said he's giving a splash of cold water and sometimes we need that because oftentimes in suffering this is you'll watch the order people go people in the church this is the order they go through they'll start complaining they'll start being bitter and angry toward other people and then it will carry over toward God And so this pastor is concerned about the souls of these people, okay? Because what he's seen, and I've seen this, some people who go through suffering, they end up, as I said, they lash out at others, they lash out at God, and some people end up denying Christ and leaving the faith. And this is called apostasy, okay? Apostasy is a willful turning away from God. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is addressing here, apostasy. Now, I want to stress something, okay? I believe God makes it very clear in the Bible that true Christians cannot lose their salvation. I think that's extremely clear. I addressed this actually at length in Hebrews chapter 6, which is another very difficult passage. So I'm not going to talk about it much today. But genuine Christians cannot lose their salvation. If you doubt this, I would just encourage you to read John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus says clearly that whoever comes to him in faith, he will never cast out. Jesus says that whoever comes to him, he will never lose they'll never be lost so if a person has genuine faith in Christ then they're saved they can't lose their salvation but there are people who profess faith in Christ and they may even look like genuine Christians but then they turn away they deny Christ and they fall away from him and I'm convinced that those people never had saving faith okay they were never born again but one of the ways that God preserves his flock is by providing warnings and sometimes very terrifying warnings like we see in the book of Hebrews, okay? So that's what the writer is addressing here in Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31. That's what we're going to look at today. He's addressing apostasy. So apostasy, again, is this. Apostasy is not just sin in general. It's it's specifically someone who says, yes, I'm a Christian, but then after usually after they go through some suffering, they turn away from God and they deny God. Christ. This is apostasy. And the Lord knows, as I said, that it, when we're in the midst of a temper tantrum, even if it's the result of suffering, God knows that sometimes we need a splash of cold water thrown in our faces to shock some sense into us. And that's what God is doing here in Hebrews 10, okay? Because this is a shocking passage, and I want to explain the context to it, but it's meant to, to, to get some cold water in our face to get us to calm down and get us to listen, Okay? So as we study this, I really want us, and I've noticed that a lot of commentaries fail to understand the suffering aspect of this and the suffering aspect of apostasy. So as we're thinking about this, I would just ask you this. Do you know anyone who's a professing Christian who's suffering, or maybe they have suffered in the past, and then as a result, in the midst of their suffering, you can tell that they're lashing out at others, and maybe they start lashing out at God, okay? It's bad enough if you lash out at others. I've seen people lash out at others who abuse them, which is understandable. I've also seen people lash out at others who are trying to help them. I've seen that many times. And then finally, the next step is lashing out at God. And so ask yourself, do you see people doing this? 
Or are you yourself doing this? Or have you seen people go through it? Think about this because people are tempted to do this in suffering. So I'm going to ask it in a personal, personal way. Are you suffering? And in your suffering, are you lashing out at others? Are you lashing out at God? Are you tempted to turn away from Christ and his bride, the church? Has the thought ever crossed your mind? So be thinking about that as we read this sobering passage, okay? Because this is a splash of water. It's meant to calm us down and face reality. All right, let's look at it. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. We'll read the passage and then we'll, we'll walk through it. Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Sobering stuff, isn't it? It's a reality check. Before we examine the passage verse by verse, one of the things that's fascinating is this, and I've noticed this repeatedly. In the scriptures, when the writers of the New Testament are giving a warning about God's judgment, when they're giving a warning about hell, when they're giving a warning about the terrifying aspect of God's judgment, often, and this may surprise us, often it's in the context of counseling. It's a pastor counseling people. And that's what the writer is doing right here. He's a pastor who cares about these people. And because he cares, because he's concerned about how they're responding to suffering, he gives them this reality check about hell. He gives them a splash of cold water in the face about the reality of God's judgment. And, and Now, we don't like to think about God's judgment, do we? I don't. But if you're going to be serious about the Bible, you must understand and believe in the judgment of God. And for someone who is suffering, and it looks like they're tempted to deny Christ and leave the faith as a response to their suffering, it's not a bad thing to remind them of the reality of God's judgment. And the motivation, of course, is love, right? That's what this pastor is doing. If you love someone and they're on a path toward disaster, you don't just let them go. You give them a warning because you love them. And that's the motivation here, okay? So let's go through the passage. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, if I just stopped there and took that one verse out of context and isolated it, you may be thinking this, that anyone who sins deliberately will go to hell, right? That's what it sounds like. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the only sacrifice for sins. But here the writer says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. It sounds like, at first reading, in isolation, that you're going to hell by simply engaging in some sort of deliberate sin. That's what it sounds like initially. And some people have taken that passage and isolated it and said just that. 
But you can't read text in just isolation. If you continue reading the rest of the passage, you can see the context. And it's clear he's not talking about just sinning. As I said, he's talking about apostasy. Okay? And, and you'll see it's actually clear in the context because he gives these parallel descriptions of what he means by sinning deliberately. We'll see that in just a bit. But right now, you can see why this passage, and this verse in particular, has been so troubling for a lot of people. But when we read the Bible, as I said, we can't just isolate one passage. We've got to read the entire context. So let's, let's continue again. Reason, let's look at verses 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, he says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So he says, if we do something, and I'm going to show you it's apostasy. He says, if we do this thing, if we engage in apostasy, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He's saying that if you do whatever it is, and we'll talk about it, he's saying Jesus' sacrifice doesn't do you any good. Okay? He's saying there's no sacrifice that could be made because you've turned away from Christ. If we engage in apostasy, If we turn away fully and finally from Christ, only one thing remains. Look what it is. It says, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Adversaries are enemies. So he's saying, if you engage in apostasy, then what awaits you? A fearful expectation of judgment, of God's judgment. Expectation. He's saying that's what you can expect. And the expectation is guaranteed. It's guaranteed and it's terrifying, a terrifying expectation of judgment. He's saying, in other words, this is going to happen. You can can believe it. It's going to happen. If you turn away from Christ fully and finally, then there's a certain expectation of God's judgment. And you can try to talk yourself out of it. You can try to convince yourself that if you turn away from Christ, you'll be fine. You can try to convince yourself of that. But in reality, you know you're lying to yourself. In your heart, you know that if you turn away from Christ fully and finally, there's a certain expectation of God's judgment and a fury of fire. He says a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, the enemies of God. So he says this is the fire of God's judgment. This will consume his enemies. The King James says fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. There's a fury of fire and it's coming after the enemies of God. And it's certain. And then he gives the explanation, and this is why the context is important. He gives the explanation of what he means when he says, if we go on sinning deliberately, okay? And this is, as I said, this is where you can tell it's apostasy. Let's look at verse 28, okay? And what the writer is going to do is use a how much worse argument. So he's talking about the old covenant, and he says in verse 28, He said, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, notice the language. This is not just sinning. He doesn't say anyone who sinned against the law of Moses. That's not what it says. He says anyone who has set aside the law of Moses. Set aside. If someone sets aside something, they're saying, I don't need this. I don't care about this. That's setting it aside. Other translations say ignore. So ignoring or setting aside the law of Moses, which is the law of God. So it's taking God's word, ignoring it, setting it aside, and saying, I don't care what God says. That's what's happening here. 
And the writer says in the Old Covenant, this is the how much more thing, in the Old Covenant, anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy. They died without forgiveness on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So they died. They were given the death penalty. That's what happened in the Old Covenant. And he's saying, hey, setting aside the law of Moses, ignoring the law of Moses, that was bad enough and the penalty was death. But now he's saying, what do you think is going to happen to you if you engage in apostasy, if you deny Christ? He's saying it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. Verse 29, he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one, and now he's going to describe the apostasy, okay? So what he's saying is in the old covenant, setting aside the law of Moses, that was deserving of death. You got the death penalty. And he's saying, how much worse do you think it's going to be for one who has disdain for Jesus Christ, for one who has contempt for Christ? He said, it's going to be worse. It's going to be much worse. It's worse than dying. The death penalty was bad enough, but if you engage in apostasy, if you do that, it's going to be worse than the death penalty. That's what he's saying in verse 29. So now he's going to describe the apostasy. And let me stress again, this is not just struggling with sin. This is not having some pattern of sin in your life. It's not, it's not where you say, I hate this sin, I want to grow in holiness, but I keep going back to it. That's not what this is being described here. This is apostasy. And you can see that from the verses. Look, look at verse 29. This is describing the deliberate sin back in uh, verse 26. Look at verse 29. He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? That's actually the title of the sermon today, trampling underfoot the Son of God. This is what apostasy looks like, trampling underfoot the Son of God, trampling trampling on Jesus, stepping on him figuratively. So once this person confessed that Jesus was Lord, they worshiped him, I don't think it was real. But anyway, they did that, but now it's like they're stepping on him. They're trampling him underfoot. So again, this person is suffering, they're hurting, and they think, I've done all this for God. You know, I'm going to church. I'm I'm confessing Jesus as Lord. I got baptized. I'm doing all this. And this is the thanks I get in return? The suffering? Well, forget this. I'm done with God. I'm done with you, Jesus. I turn my back on you. Get away from me. Setting it aside. You're not my Lord. This is a rejection of Jesus' rule. It's a rejection of his lordship. So it says, trampling underfoot the Son of God. The title Son of God is given to Jesus, and it shows that the Father has promised to put everything under Jesus' feet, right? We've talked about that in Hebrews many times. The Father said he's going to put everything under Jesus' feet. In other words, the Father is going to make everything which is an enemy to Christ, it's going to be his footstool, right? Well, if someone tramples Jesus underfoot, what it means is they've treated Jesus as an enemy. In other words, in the mind of the apostate, the apostate is now on the throne. He's the ruler. He's the king. And Jesus is his footstool. That's what's being portrayed here. The apostate is king. The apostate's on the throne. And Jesus is the enemy. That's what's being described here. And this is what Lucifer wanted to do. If you read Isaiah 14, it says that Lucifer, which means light bearer, right? He he disguises himself as an angel of light. Lucifer says in Isaiah 14, it says, and I I believe this is talking about Lucifer. It says, I will ascend to the heavens. Listen, there's a language. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what Lucifer did. He's trying to make Jesus his footstool. And this is exactly what the apostate is doing when he tramples the Son of God underfoot. The apostate is putting himself on the throne. He's making Jesus his enemy. And when an apostate denies Christ, what he's doing is he's saying that he's at war with God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you go to war with God, you're going to lose. That's what he's saying. If you put yourself on the throne and try to make Jesus a footstool for your feet, you're going to lose. And all that awaits you is a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. He's saying there's no hope for you. And that's a big splash of cold water, isn't it? Look at the next phrase describing apostasy, still in verse 29. It says, one who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. What's the blood of the covenant? What's the blood of the new covenant? It's the blood of Jesus. So this is talking about Jesus' death. Picture Jesus on the cross, bleeding, dying. Jesus took upon himself all the judgment and wrath that should have come to us, his people. Because all the sin of God's people was laid on Jesus on the cross. This is the blood of the covenant. It's talking about the death of Jesus on the cross. But what does an apostate do when he turns away from Christ? He's profaning the blood of the covenant. That Greek word for profane is koinon or koine. You may have heard the term koine Greek. Koine means common. So it means common or ordinary. So Koine Greek is common speech, common dialect. Well, what he's saying here is an apostate is, turns away from Christ. He's treating Jesus' blood. He's treating Jesus' death as a common thing. He's profaning it. It's saying it's an unholy thing. He's saying Jesus' death is no more important than any other death. His death is as common and ordinary as the death of any other person. It's nothing special. It's no big deal. So that's what it means when it says that he has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. It's saying that Jesus' death is nothing special. That's what the apostate does. Next phrase in verse 29, it says, The apostate has outraged the spirit of grace. Spirit, I hope in your Bible, is capitalized because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. When an apostate turns away from God and denies Christ, notice it says he outrages the Holy Spirit, the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is gentle. He leads people through through gentle promptings. The Holy Spirit gives grace. The Holy Spirit graciously guides people, and he does it in a gentle way. But when you trample underfoot the Son of God and you profane his blood, you outrage the Holy Spirit. Think about that, the Holy Spirit being outraged, the Holy Spirit being infuriated. Think about the Holy Spirit being furious at a person. He's not quiet anymore. He's outraged. The Holy Spirit is outraged at people who spit in the face of Jesus. That's what is being taught here. Verses 30 and 31. Here again, we have this severe warning, and it's the last thing we're going to look at today, verses 30 and 31. It says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As I said, this is a splash of cold water. This section is a quote from Deuteronomy 32. 
If you've ever read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it's a sermon about Deuteronomy 32. But Edwards got the title from this passage right here in Hebrews 10. And what we're confronted with here is the terror of God's judgment. And I said this before, I honestly, just being real, I don't like talking about God's judgment. I don't. I don't like talking about the vengeance of God. It's horrible to think about. It's terrible. But God has given us this passage for a reason, and we can't ignore it. And so I'll say it again, this passage is addressing apostasy. So the situation is like this. A person, as I said, who claims to be a Christian is suffering. And they say, I've tried Christianity. I've tried the church. I've tried this Jesus thing. But all I've gotten in return is suffering. So forget this. I'm done with this. I'm out. I hate this. I deny Christ. His death means nothing to me. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with the church. This is apostasy. And the writer here, as I said, is a pastor. He sees people going down this path, and he's concerned. So he gives them this splash of cold water, and he reminds them of the vengeance of God. So he says in verse 30, he says, we know God. We know the true God who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Think about this. God here makes a promise, right? He says, I promise you, if you trample my son underfoot, If you spit in the face of my son, he's saying, if you want to go to war with me, I promise you will lose. God says, I promise, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The writer goes on, he quotes Deuteronomy 32 again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think his people, I think he's talking about Jewish people, right? But he's talking about anybody who turns away from Christ. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to be an apostate and fall into the hands of the living God. And no, he's the living God, right? God's not dead. He's the living God. He's the living God who saves. He's the living God of mercy and love, but he's also the God who judges. Vengeance belongs to him, and he will repay. And at the last day, when God judges, his, he will execute judgment, and he will do it perfectly. And this is for... If you're in Christ, rest assured that God will execute judgment perfectly, right? He won't be too harsh and he won't be too lenient. His justice will be perfect. But for sinful people, that's a terrifying thing. And that's what God is saying here because God is holy. But vengeance belongs to God. And also for us, vengeance doesn't belong to us, right? We're not to take vengeance because it belongs to him. And we can rest assured this is actually very comforting for God's people because when you see terrible things being done in this world that deserve judgment and people get away with it, you can trust that the Lord is going to take care of it. So it belongs to him, not to us. But he says, I will repay. That's a promise. Now remember, in other parts of Hebrews, it repeatedly says that God is a God of mercy and tenderness and forgiveness and love. Jesus is a sympathetic and caring high priest. Jesus died for you, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how much he loves you. He is crazy about you. He's caring and sympathetic. And Jesus understands when we go through suffering because he suffered more than we can imagine, right? He understands. And he weeps with us when we weep. He cares. But at the same time, the author of Hebrews, as I said, cold throws cold water in the face of someone who's tempted to deny Christ because he says, again, if you reject Christ, 
if you trample underfoot the Son of God, if you profane his death, if you outrage the Spirit of grace, here's what awaits you. The unmitigated wrath of God. The full vengeance of God. It's guaranteed. You're not going to be able to escape it. Because truly it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now I want to stress this again. I think one of the keys to understanding Hebrews and one of the keys to understanding this passage is for us to think seriously about suffering. That's the context of the book. Next week we'll pick up in verse 32. And it says, in the former days you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. That's what he's telling them. Yeah, you suffered, right? And you know what? And I'll say this again. Suffering in this life is really hard. Now in the scope of eternity... It's a light momentary affliction, right? That's our passage. In the scope of eternity, our sufferings are light momentary afflictions. But in the moment, existentially, they're really, really hard when you go through suffering. That's the context, okay? And these people were going through immense suffering. And all of us go through suffering. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will suffer. And so here's the question. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to suffering? It's the response that matters. Everyone suffers. You live long enough. If you're a kid, you may not have, and man, that's awesome. But you live long enough, you're going to suffer, and you're going to suffer immensely. That's just the way that life is in a broken, sinful world. That's just the way it is. But the response is is what matters. All of us, as I said, go through suffering. And so I want us to spend some time thinking about suffering because I really think this is huge for the book of Hebrews. So let's spend some time thinking about suffering, okay? First of all, all of our suffering is unique. You don't know all the suffering I've gone through, right? And I don't know all the suffering you've gone through. Even those who are are closest to you, they don't know everything you've been through. Even during the last week, nobody knows the mental and emotional things that you've gone through, do they? Even just in the last week. And, And you don't know... You don't know every emotion and source of stress and turmoil that anybody else has gone through. I know what I've gone through, but that's all I can know. Also, this is important. If you're going through suffering, don't, one, don't assume your suffering is minor. Just because other people seem to have suffering, don't assume that your suffering is, is not worth anything. Suffering is real, no matter what it is. But also, don't assume that your suffering is worse than others. Some people can have a victim mentality and they think that their suffering is worse than others. A a victim wants to think that their suffering is worse than almost everybody else. And a victim mindset, this is the danger of a victim mindset, it leads to bitterness. It leads to bitterness and anger towards people because they never do enough for me or whatever. And sometimes it can lead to bitterness toward God. And that's what the writers of the Hebrews is addressing here. Because here's the thing, when you go through suffering, when anybody goes through suffering, how can you even quantify suffering how can you know that that some suffering is worse than others what about this what what about someone who works I'm going to give a bunch of examples here because I want you to think about what about someone who works really hard and they try to save and they play by the rules but they never have enough money to take care of their family it's always a struggle I mentioned that song rich men north of Richmond as I said not safe for the whole family but it's a song about struggling it's a song about crooked politicians and how the system is set up to crush the working class And that song resonates with people because there are lots of people struggling financially. They work, they try to save, and they go to a grocery store. You know how much $100 buys you at the grocery store nowadays? It's almost nothing. It's incredible. Or go go to the gas pump or try to make a house payment or apartment payment or whatever. Or or then 
You do all this and now you have a car breakdown. And you have difficulty getting to work. You don't have the money to fix it. People are suffering. But how do you quantify that? What about someone who has severe health problems that just go on and on? Or they're in constant physical pain, never seems to end. How do you quantify that? Is that worse than financial? You see what I'm saying? What about a person who has suffered abandonment and abuse as a child? What about a child who suffered sexual abuse? How do you quantify the amount of suffering? What about a person who raised their kids in the church and now they watch as their adult children walk away from Christ? Is that easy to deal with? What about a person with severe depression? What about a person who has a child suffering from severe depression? Or a child with disabilities? What about a child or an adult watching their family fall apart? What about someone in a miserable marriage? What about a single person who wants to get married? What about a couple who wants to have a baby but they can't? Or what about someone who's lost a baby or lost a child? What about someone who's had a child that commits suicide? What about someone who's lost a family member in a wreck? How do you quantify? You see what I'm saying? How do you quantify all that? It's really hard. So don't think that your sufferings are minor or that your sufferings are worse. And the key is, I'm going to keep stressing, is how we respond to it. I'm going to take a little risk here. I'm taking a risk of being called a victim or self-centered, okay, because I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. But I'll say this. You may not, some of you know this and some of you don't. Um, my mom is a cancer survivor. She's had multiple surgeries. She's had lots of blood clots. She's had, she had a massive blood clot in her lungs. They call it a saddle clot. She's had heart problems just this week. She had a heart procedure. But you know what? I've spent more nights in the hospital than my mom has. Now, I'm guessing most people looking at me would not think that, but I have severe health problems that I have to deal with on a daily basis. I don't think it's going to limit my life, but I've had a, I have a blood clotting disorder, and I've had multiple DVTs and blood clots, and I have to deal with the effects of this. And I'm not sure anybody cares. I'm just, so I know what I've gone through, right? And this is why I'm talking about this. And I'm not sure anybody cares, but I can tell you as a pastor, I'm also expected not only to perform my jobs, plural, but I'm also expected and take care of my family, but I'm also expected to do lots for others. If you've been in ministry, and lots of people in here have been in ministry, you know what I'm talking about. And I'll say this, just being candid, often the amount of anger and unfair criticism that pastors get, oftentimes, I'll just be honest, it's shocking. And I know I'm not supposed to say this, but young guys, if you're thinking about going into the ministry, don't do it, okay? <laughs> Now, I'm, I'm halfway joking, right? Because when God calls, you have to respond. But my observation is, and many of you can relate, my observation is ministry is often not good for the pastor's family or his emotional health or even his walk with the Lord. Just being real. But, but I'm not claiming that I have it worse than anybody else. And again, my point is, how do you quantify any amount of suffering? And the reason I bring all this up is if you live in the world long enough, you're going to experience suffering. And as I said, suffering's hard. But this is what Hebrews is teaching us. The question is not how much you're suffering or quantifying or whatever else. The question is how are you going to respond? Okay? How am I going to respond? Am I going to respond by throwing a temper tantrum and lashing out at others and lashing out at God? Or, and this is what Hebrews talks about, we'll see in the next chapter, and I'm, am I going to respond in faith? Am I going to respond by trusting in Jesus? Am I going to respond to suffering by continuing to love other people, even if they hurt me? 
continue to love other people, whether they help me or not? And am I going to continue loving the Lord and truly trusting my Savior, Jesus Christ? That's the question. How do you respond? Okay? I'm going to close with some thoughts from a a pastor named Robert Rayburn. And I'm going to quote and paraphrase, paraphrase him quite a bit as I end the sermon. But Pastor Rayburn talks about a college classmate of his, and the reason I'm doing this is because nobody knows this person, so it's easier. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. So Pastor Rayburn talks about a college classmate of his, a young lady who was gentle and kind, he said, during college. And he said, I think if we had been asked at the time who among us might later apostatize and give up the Christian faith, she would have been among the last considered to be a likely candidate. But then he said this, but she did apostatize. And she now writes books and leads seminars teaching a combination of feminism and New Age religion. And her target audience is women who aren't happy with the Christian faith. Women who feel marginalized or abused by patriarchal Christianity. And so her mission is to tell women that there's another way of thinking about God and that Christianity is false. That's, that's her mission now, okay? So it's this combination of feminism and New Age thinking. And here's where suffering comes into play. Pastor Rayburn says this, humanly speaking, there's a reason for all this. This woman hates men. And if you were a woman who had suffered at the hands of men like she has, you might hate men too. And he says this, this is very important. It's not as if this woman's rejection of Christianity occurred in a vacuum. Apostasy does not occur in a vacuum. It, it's real life. And now listen to what this this woman went through. She was abandoned by her parents, and she was raised in an orphanage. And to top it off, in the orphanage, she was sexually abused by a Roman Catholic priest. Then as she grew up, she seemed to overcome this, and she became a young woman, and it looked like she was committed to God and the church. And this is when Pastor Rayburn knew her when she was in college. Later, she married the son of a pastor. But it turns out her marriage was absolutely horrible. And she suffered terrible abuse at the hands of her so-called Christian husband. Is this terrible or what? It's awful. It's tragic. And Rayburn, Rayburn says this, It's enough to make you weep when you think about her misfortunes. And you can't help but think what might have been if she had been loved. He said, And there's little doubt that her apostasy is directly related to her deeply painful experiences. And surely we can understand that and we can sympathize with that. Surely we can feel a proper outrage at the people who call themselves Christians but who terribly misrepresented Christianity to her. These men gave her such a false and horrible view of what the gospel is and what it means in human relationships. Reverend says this, We could, I suppose, go so far as to forgive her for her final unbelief. And this is what I'm talking about. The key is not suffering. The key is the response. And Reverend says this, Just as we could possibly forgive her for her apostasy, it's just at this point we run into the solid wall of teaching here in Hebrews 10, which is the same teaching we get from the Lord Jesus and from all the other biblical writers. He says this, psychology notwithstanding, life experiences notwithstanding, troubles and trials and suffering notwithstanding, there is no concession made for those who know the gospel, have claimed to believe it, have been taken to be Christians and then turned their backs on Jesus Christ. They know better. Whatever circumstances, whatever they're suffering, however they've been treated, they know better. Reverend says this, as I sat last week on a couch in the living room of our host and spoke with her, I knew she knew better. 
I listened to her and knew that she had made a terrible choice. As badly as she had been treated, she knew her hope for redemption and even more, she knew her hope for eternal joy was only with Jesus Christ. She knew better. Whatever her hardship in life, her new age feminist nonsense can't take her to heaven. And she knew that. She really did trample underfoot the Son of God. And she really did insult the Holy Spirit who who had communicated the truth to her. And what she did was rebel. And we may think her suffering makes her rebellion more poignant, but it doesn't alter the nature of what she did. And not surprisingly, she doesn't feel a twinge of repentance over what she's done. Listen, we all suffer, right? Some worse than others. And we can sympathize. We can sympathize with the temptation to lash out, to throw a temper tantrum. We can sympathize with that. But we can't sympathize with, no matter how bad the suffering, we can't sympathize with trampling the Son of God underfoot. We can't sympathize with someone turning their back on the sacrifice Jesus made for sin. We can't sympathize with spitting in the face of Jesus who laid down his life for his people. And Jesus' only motivation was everlasting love. On the day of judgment, suffering won't be an excuse. No appeal to suffering in this life will be taken seriously in the case of someone who treats Jesus with such contempt. This is so important for us to think about. I know this is a hard sermon. I'm intentionally making, I want your emotions to be raw as you hear about this. Because the Bible is confronting us on this. Okay? This is so important for us to think about. Yes, we, the, the Bible, many places the Bible is tender and caring, but we can't spit in the face of Christ no matter what our sufferings are. The Lord Jesus tenderly invites us to come to him. He, Jesus acknowledges that we're weary and burdened. As I said, Jesus is a compassionate, tender, sympathetic high priest. But we must also take very seriously the determination of our God to bring judgment on those who reject his son regardless of how much they suffer. So I'll say it again. This is how I'm wrapping up. The question is not how much are you suffering. The question is how will you respond? Amen. And my prayer is you respond with renewed commitment to submitting your life to Jesus Christ and beholding him and understanding that in the scope of eternity, these light momentary afflictions really are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. God, I thank you for your word. This is a tough passage, Lord. It's a tough passage. Ah, My heart breaks for that lady that Pastor Rabin was talking about. I pray for her even now. I pray that her turning away from Christ will not be full and final. And we pray, I, I know there are probably people in the congregation right now thinking of friends or people they knew have turned away. We pray that it wouldn't be full and final, Holy Spirit, even now. We pray that you'd work in their hearts and turn them back to you. While in this life, there's still hope. So we pray, Holy Spirit, even now, even right now, right now at 1126, you would turn some people toward you. Right now, Holy Spirit, work. And if there's anybody in here who has been tempted to turn away from you, Jesus, because of suffering, Lord, I pray you'd bring them back. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to them the beauty of Christ, reveal to them the truth that, God, you love them, Jesus, you died for them,
pray you'd work in their hearts. I pray that, that people who are, are tempted to throw temper tantrums or lash out at others or lash out at you because of suffering, it's understandable. Lord, I pray that, they would, that you would allow them to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and they would just renew their commitment to you and live for you. Thank you for your word, Lord. I would not choose to preach this. Thank you for allowing us to go through it because it's tough, but it's good. And you're good and you love us. And I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, even now, you would allow your people just to know how much you love us. Please, Lord, just to know how much you love us. And for those who aren't in Christ, I pray that they would turn to you now and that they would understand the seriousness of your judgment if for those who deny Christ. Let us see the beauty of your glory in the face of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.